Well, many things are changing in the world right now, but one thing that remains the same is the mission of the church. We believe that God has called us to create a world with more peace and more hope by loving one another as Jesus loves us. So many people are doing that. So many court streeters are doing that in so many ways right now. Today, I want to celebrate one thing that's happening in the life of our church family right now. This is now the second Sunday that, that Vince Slocum is the pastor of the Lake Fenton United Methodist Church. You know, Vince Slocum came to, to answer his calling to ministry here in the pews of the Court Street United Methodist Church. This congregation loved his family and, and helped him hear God's voice and, and stood behind him and beside him as he, as he took his steps towards, towards becoming a pastor. And I wanna, I wanna thank you for doing that for Vince and for his family church. That's what a healthy, that's what a faithful church does. A healthy church and a faithful church make sure that when people walk out the door, they feel inspired inspired and empowered to answer God's call and to use their gifts to, to heal the world. Now Vince, Pastor Vince is doing that this week in part because he came to know the love of God and the people of God here at Court Street United Methodist Church. I wanna thank you for doing that in his life and thank you for all of the ways in which you do that for one another. Now, thank you for, for seeing each other's gifts. Thank you for calling each other into ministry. Thank you for standing beside each other and behind each other in so many ways. Thank you for, for making so much ministry possible and for all of the ways in which you give. Well, today we've got a special treat for you because Pastor Vince is back. We're going to have Pastor Vince back this morning as our, our guest preacher. Now, as he's, as he's making his way and figuring out what it means to be a pastor at the Lake Fenton United Methodist Church, Vince is introducing himself to the congregation and, and helping them to know who he is and what God has done in his life. And this, moment, this morning, Vince is going to uh, allow us to eavesdrop a little bit, to listen in on that conversation that he's having with, with the Lake Fenton United Methodist Church. We're going to get to learn a little bit about who Vince is this morning and, and a little bit about how God has been part of his journey. I hope you're excited to hear, uh, to hear Vince again this morning as our guest preacher. All right, before we do that, I'm going to invite our friend Isabella to share with us this morning, to share this morning's gospel reading, a reading from the Gospel of Mark. Today's reading is from Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 41. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him. With them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. For he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The word of God for the people of God. Good morning, Court Street. Remember about a month ago when I preached a sermon and said that it was probably going to be the last sermon that I shared with you guys for a while? Well, apparently God and the Peters family found that quite funny because here I am once again. I'm so pleased to be joining you in worship again this Sunday. I'm coming to you from the sanctuary here at Lake Fenton United Methodist Church, my new pastoral charge. Now I'd like to begin this morning like I begin most mornings by 
by telling you a story. About seven years ago, my daughter Emily started kindergarten. Now, she'd been in Young Fives the year before, and she'd done a year of preschool the year before that. So at this point, my wife Carmen and I felt like we really had this school thing down pat. You know, we'd learned all the tricks, we'd, we'd figured the ins and outs, and, and so this school year, we, we confidently assured ourselves, would be a breeze. Famous last words. You see, a couple of months into the school year, my daughter's principal called me on the phone, and apparently there was a, a situation with Emily at the school. She'd, she'd become disruptive and, and problematic in the class, and when the teacher asked her to go into timeout to help her to calm down, my daughter flew into a rage and had been in a tear in the classroom ever since. And so the principal was calling to see if I might mind coming just to pick her up. She thought maybe if she just came home for the day, she could start fresh tomorrow, right? Just a new, a new start. And so I let everyone at my work know the situation and I hopped in my car and I drove to my daughter's class. And when I walked in, I was shocked to see a level of destruction and disarray in that classroom that the Tasmanian devil himself would have struggled to recreate. There were pencils and crayons broken and thrown all over the place. Papers and artwork shredded like confetti and hurled all over the classroom. Tables and chairs turned over. And when I turned to look at my daughter, I saw her standing in the corner, this beautiful, delicate little five-year-old girl standing with her fists clenched and her nostrils flared, right? Her chest was heaving in and out like some deranged mountain gorilla, right? I had never seen her like this. My wife Carmen and I had never seen this kind of behavior at home. I was completely flabbergasted. I had no idea what could have caused this. And, and kind of at a loss for what to do, I, I grabbed her and I, I went ahead and just took her out of the classroom and, and put her in the car. And on the car ride home, I decided that it was my turn to fly into a rage. And, and I went on and on about how absolutely unacceptable that kind of behavior was. I went into great length all of the privileges that she enjoyed on a daily basis. And how does she repay me? By pulling me out of work and forcing me to come to her school to address a situation like that. How dare she behave so poorly? How dare she embarrass me like that? I let her know how absolutely disappointed I was. And when we got home, I took her into her bedroom. I grounded her off of her dolls and took the TV out of her room and said, you're spending the rest of the night in your bedroom. This is the last time we are ever going to have this conversation. I was determined that we would never see this kind of behavior ever again. Now, it would seem that I was getting quite adept at offering famous last words because things only went from bad to worse that school year. 
In fact, you can probably count on two hands the number of weeks that passed that whole school year in which either myself or my wife did not have to go up to the school to intervene in some new situation involving Emily. As time passed, we became increasingly desperate. We became increasingly at a loss to explain what was happening. How could this be happening? We felt like utter failures as a parent. How, how could things be getting so out of control? What is it that other parents seem to understand that we're just not getting. It didn't matter what we tried. None of it seemed to work. We tried being firm. We tried being understanding. We tried being compassionate. Nothing seemed to work. Finally, towards the end of the school year, my daughter's principal took us off to the side and said, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Slocum, I usually don't like to offer this kind of advice. I usually don't like to make these sorts of suggestions to parents, but but I really think that your daughter Emily might need to be on some kind of medication. Now, I'm sure that her advice was entirely well meant and given with the best of intentions, but, but at the time, I have to admit that when she told me, Mr. Slocum, I feel as though your daughter might benefit from medication, what I in fact heard was Mr. Slocum, if you were not failing so catastrophically as a father, your daughter would not now be dependent on medication as some sort of crutch to get her through her day. It was not a jump that was hard for me to make, for it was, in fact, something I had been telling myself for months. You are failing as a father. As I looked at the pain and anguish on my little girl's face, the sun around which my wife and my galaxy spun. I looked at the pain and hurt that she was going through and thought, that's my fault. How could I have let things get so badly? How could things have gotten this out of control? What am I doing wrong? And when will this end? Now, in today's reading, we hear the story of Jesus calming the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Now, this is one of those stories, in my opinion, that's so profoundly shaped by the way the story ends that, that we often overlook some of the details of this story. It's one of those stories that that we read from beginning to end, knowing how things turn out. And so, in a sense, we start off the story already safely on the other shore with Jesus on that, on that sea, comforted in the understanding of how great a thing our faith truly is. And when the story begins, the disciples and Jesus have just finished one of Jesus' mass preaching events. Now, these would have drawn hundreds, if not thousands of people. For those of you who have been involved in organizing massive events, craft fairs, art shows, 
VBSs, potlucks, right? You can imagine how tired Jesus and his apostles are as they begin to load all of their things into the boat and prepare to sail out across the sea. In fact, we find that Jesus does what any self-respecting preacher does after delivering an absolutely dynamite sermon. He takes a nap. <laughs> and it's then that the storm hits. Now, a storm in any age is a dangerous thing for a sailor, but in Jesus's time, a storm meant almost certain death for a sailor. In fact, many of the apostles were fishers. Many of them would have been raised, taught to fear the dangers of stories. They would have been raised on stories of foolish sailors who had set out against all the signs into stormy seas only to end up dead, crushed and crushed against cliff faces, smashed against the rocks, drowned at sea. They would have been taught from early childhood to avoid a storm at all costs. They would have been taught to fear storms as almost certain death. And so as they're sailing and the storm sets in, they immediately become desperate. How could we have missed the signs of a storm? I imagine them saying to themselves, right? How did we not see this coming? How did we not know that a storm was coming? Now we're in the middle of the sea with nowhere to go. As they run around the ship, becoming increasingly desperate, water is rushing up over the side of the boat. Winds, 100 mile an hour winds, crash against the side of the boat. The bow tilts as they become more and more desperate, rushing around. They go over to Jesus, teacher, teacher, wake up. If you have any hope of saving us or yourself, please wake up. Teacher, the storm is on us. All hope is lost. Please get up. And it's in the midst of all this noise, winds howling, the stern of the ship cracking under the pressure of the wind, the waves crashing against the side of the boat in a storm of noise, in a chaos of noise. Jesus stands, walks quietly to the front of the ship, holds out his hands and says, stop. And a silence. An absolute silence sets in as the apostles look around at the stillness that has just suddenly appeared out of the chaos of all that noise. They look dumbstruck at Jesus in this moment. Their faith has never been greater. Who is this? They say to themselves, who is this that can command even the sea and the winds to stop? 
And so we have reached the end that so profoundly shapes our understanding of this story. In fact, it so profoundly shapes our understanding of this story that we often forget to acknowledge that the storm was in fact real. We forget to acknowledge that the apostles had every right to be terrified in that moment. Every reason to believe that each and every one of them was about to die on that boat. You see, you'll notice when Jesus wakes in this story, he does not wake up and immediately start wagging his fingers at his disciples. He does not immediately start railing against them for their lack of faith. If only you were better sailors, he would shout to them. No, he simply stands up and calms the sea. The faith of the apostles comes after. I heard this story countless times in those difficult days with Emily all those years ago. And, and while it was always offered to me as, as a source of comfort in a difficult time, I have to admit that I rarely ever received it as one. In fact, often when I read this story, I, I read it as a way of telling me, if only your faith were deeper, if only your trust in God were greater, you would not be feeling so stressed or overwhelmed right now, right? If only your faith was made of stronger stuff, you would not be so fearful in this moment. In fact, it was not until years later, after my daughter Emily finally was able to see a psychiatrist who was able to diagnose her with disruptive mood dysregulation disorder. It was not until years later, after she was receiving the spiritual and mental care that she so uniquely needed, that I was finally able to appreciate the full beauty of today's story. You see, I don't read today's story as testimony of how insufficient the faith of the apostles had been on that boat with Jesus. Instead, I read today's story as awesome testimony of the great and intimate power of Jesus Christ to enter the storm in any given life and create the calm that is needed for each of us to live in the fullness of our faith. You see, the lesson that I learned all those years ago and the lessons that this reading teaches me here today are that sometimes in our lives, the storm is in fact real. And in the midst of a very real storm, fear, worry, and doubt are often appropriate responses and not, in fact, evidence 
of the insufficiency of our faith. You see, the lesson I learned all those years ago is that there are times when the waves crash against the side of our boat so high, when the winds rush against the bow so forcefully that the bow bends and we can no longer see the other side of that lake shore. And in those times, faith often comes with great difficulty, if it even comes at all. And that's okay. Because Jesus is right there beside us in the boat. With or without our faith. Either way. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting Father, we thank you for the blessings of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, that he be a comfort and a companion to us through all the most difficult times in our lives. We thank you for all those times of peace, comfort, and encouragement that you give to us. We ask that you continue to be with us through all our difficult days and help us to remember that Jesus is there in our boats beside us always. Amen.